Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. Recently, I was at the Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland, where I participated in a fascinating experimental event called The Future of Attention, curated by Rafael Dernbach, a researcher at the Università della Svizzera Italiana. It was a continuous 24-hour live talk moderated by three hosts, including yours truly, and involving a new guest each hour. The event began at noon on August 10th and went on all the way to noon on August 11th. Attendees were invited to sit, lounge, or even sleep in the audience whenever they wished. The idea was not just to discuss the workings of attention in contemporary film and media culture, but also to actively experience and challenge the various ways in which we pay attention over a sustained period of time. Over the next couple weeks, we'll be sharing excerpts from my hosting shift at the event, which featured some really exciting guests, from filmmaker Helena Whitman to artist Hito Styrel to scholar Kevin Beely, among others. Today's conversation explores the spaces and infrastructures of attention with Noah Levin, a philosopher, and Giovanni Carmine, the director of Constala St. Galen and the curator of Art Basel's Unlimited section. We hope you enjoy the conversation. I'd like to welcome my first guest for the last four-hour stretch, Giovanni Carmine, who's a curator. And uh, Giovanni, thank you for being here. First of all, how do you feel being here at bright in the morning at 8 a.m.? Thank you for having me here, first of all, and uh, good morning, everybody. <laughs> I feel very well. I just, uh, you know, I grew up in the region and... Uh, don't live here anymore but uh, so I came back yesterday night I had a dinner with my mother and then this morning I came down from Bellinzona with the train it's very beautiful drive so all right and uh, yeah, I feel very well great well it's great to have you here and would you just reintroduce yourself for anyone tuning in now so my name is Noah Levin I'm a philosopher researcher writer I work on philosophy of technology, philosophy of ecology, and German-Jewish thought. Great. Well, great to have you uh, as well, Noah. Uh, And thanks for sticking around because you're going to make my job easier. (laughs) But I wanted to start by asking you, Giovanni, a little bit. Maybe you could talk a little about what you do. You're a curator at the Constala St. Galen. Um, I just checked with you how to say that right, and I think I got it right. And you're also a curator for the Unlimited section at Art Basel. Uh, I'd love to hear in your words what it is that you do. Well, basically, uh, you said it. <laughs> I am I'm a curator. I work with uh, visual arts or in the visual art field. I do exhibitions. That's what I do. And uh, since 2007, it's been a while. I'm a director, curator, whatever it is. The Constal in St. Gallen, which is a art center, um, which basically is committed to producing art with uh, more or less young artists. And on the side, um, I always did different stuff and uh, um, other projects. And at the moment, I'm uh, yeah working with Art Basel, which is this art fair. Um, 
and I curate there a section which is, uh, um, so to say, dedicated to large-scale artworks, <laughs> which sounds a little bit stupid, but it's like connected to the fact that in, inside the fair there is no space for, for instance, like time-based um, uh, practices like film or uh, video installations. Mm. So this is a special section that focus on this kind of works. So when you say large scale, that means in terms of duration as well as size? Yeah, monumental things. Monumental <laughs> things, okay. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, how do you think of the job of curation or art curation? You know, what does it mean to you? Well, just, I mean, this is maybe like the, the after the two last very smart and interesting philosophical uh, talks is maybe the terre-à-terre -terre kind of <laughs> pragmatical uh, talk at eight o'clock in the morning, um, which is good, but there is a direct link of what you, you just finished talking about love or, or care. You know, uh, curator comes from Latin, curare, mm -hmm. which taking care of. I mean, that's the same um etymology and uh, um that has to be at the at the center i mean at, at least for me it's at the center of my activity like taking care of the objects persons um artists um, visitor experience that's that's the the, the center of uh, of curating i mm. think uh whatever you curate you can curate drink section of a bar or or a, an exhibition and um, and after that it's like just uh, you know um, I think it's clear what you have to do you have to to, to generate the, the perfect condition for I mean at least in the art field for an artwork to be uh, in, at its best and generate the best of the potential that an artwork mm. has so I'm curious, and no, feel free to you know jump in here. So when you define curation as caretaking, what do you think you're taking care of? Is it the artwork, the artist, the audience? Who is the object of your care? Well, it's it's like a, a multi-care experience, if I can define it like that. It's like uh, I, I'm I'm very fortunate and happy to to be able to to uh, to work in in this field and uh, earn my money in it i know it's a privilege but it's it's not only because i have the possibility to work with art and to have like a kind of intellectual experience with it what i really like is that it's really multi-layered in in the fact that you work with so many different people on so many different levels from like you know, financing a project to, uh, um, you know, explaining to kids uh, what's what is an artwork. So, if if you ask me what what you take care of, I mean, it's I cannot really, I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> I have to be ready to to uh, to um, um, yeah, to have this this to be open to this kind of multi layered experience and. Uh, I mean, sometimes I don't have the answers ready. Mm. Uh, and of course, I mean, curating means also making choices 
and uh, uh, editing or and and find the ideal setting um, for an experience. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I try to do at my best. Or I mean, the ideal or or the right or or maybe like a setting that generates something mm. different. Um, the reason I, I ask that is because when you are trying, when you have multiple stakeholders or objects of your care, um, there have to be points where they are at odds, I think. So like you said, curation is the act of making choices. It is a balance of inclusion and exclusion, right? You're, you're um, an exerciser of taste, which means you make the choice to uplift someone, sometimes at the cost of another person, another artist. Uh, you're obviously keeping in mind very pragmatic logistical constraints, financial constraints, um, audience experience. So are there times where one object of your care feels at odds with another? And I'll add another stakeholder to this, something that I think uh, about a lot in my work as an editor. Um, is also, you know, it's as much about uh, care means taking care of your labor, like your own labor, the labor of the people who work alongside and with and for you. And there are times when all of these different modes of caretaking do not feel harmonious. And I wonder if you have, you know, those, those moments. Yeah, there is many of those moments. But luckily there are moments and... Uh... And there are ways to to uh, to uh, um, you know to repair the the or or to to overwhelm these moments with with uh, with work with with discussions with uh, um, but but I think what what you are taking uh, or what we we were talking about it's also that. Um, it's an act of power, maybe you know, like, uh, and of course, it can be abusive as, as any kind of uh, um, moments where when you have to take decisions, and uh, and of course, there are, there are many, many different moments, and and I think this is also related to the topic of attention. Obviously, uh, when you have to take decision as an individual, um, what what do you consider important is it like the discussion that you have with your peers with your uh, uh, with the people you trust and and uh, you care of i mean so intellectually the people that give you something um but sometimes you have also to take your own responsibility as an individual and as a curator as a, a father as a cook whatever <laughs> And take the decision. Okay, I I put chili in it or not, you know. Mm. And uh, um, and this is like yeah, the power that we have, and uh, we have to be conscious of it, and uh, and try to um, make the best use out of it. But how are you? How does one? act consciously you know i mean what are what are some of the ways or uh, guiding principles or like what is the you know infrastructure of your taste making practice you know so let's let's to put it simple maybe it's a it's a mixture between uh, knowledge and ethics mm -hmm. 
So, and, uh, obviously, part of my work or your work probably it's it's uh, um, know as much as possible. Mm. Yeah. Knowing that we have limits, that we you can you have also to make choices there. What what do I yeah. read? What do I look at? You can't but, see everything no, in the world. No, it's yeah, impossible. And uh, um, so this helps you also to generate the knowledge, our taste, uh, which is obviously changing, or at least um, I hope that it's changing my taste over the time mm. uh, with, with the development of, of knowledge. And on the other end, it's like you know, these this ethics or moral uh, issues that came out of whatever. Uh, your culture, your religion, your uh, again, your knowledge too, and uh, um, which is also an evolving topic, obviously. Mm, yeah. yeah, maybe I can just jump in uh, and ask about because we spoke before about attention as a kind of care in itself. Like, and I was wondering if you think uh, of attention of the, the the attention of the audience that attends uh, the exhibitions that you curate, uh, to what extent you you think about where you, how you would like to lead their attention or in what way do you see your care or uh, your, your kind of guidance of the audience in the exhibitions that you curate and maybe also kind of the role of mediation between the artists and the audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was already like a topic in, in former talks. What what is the audience? You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, there is no ideal audience, and uh, I mean, at least you can, de depending from from the context, you know more or less which kind of people are coming to see mm. the show. You know, uh, I had the, the 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 pleasure to be, uh, uh, you know sort of co-curating the Venice Biennial and and, and there um, there there were I don't know six hundred thousand people coming and uh, people that comes to to, to see a, a, an exhibition in San Gallen are maybe like for an exhibition I don't know one thousand five hundred people. So there are two very, very different kind of um, audiences and um, which are more or less specialized, so so you you know a little bit the context, and and you can also decide which kind of program or content you want to put, depending of more or less what are you expecting mm. uh, for an, an audience, and and then my work is also like to put things in space, you know, and this is a kind of uh, uh, building up a narrative. And and through these you can also build up dramaturgy and attention uh, somehow. So it's like, uh, um, yeah, I think attention is very much related to to the idea of curating. Mm. Um, I want uh, sorry. Go ahead. I wonder if, as an exercise, I could ask you to comment on the space of this event. You know, I mean, it is a space designed for certain forms of attention and reception. If, if we consider us on stage as, as a performance, um, you know, what do you notice when you look at this space as a curator? 
as well, a creator I of ever, monumental, monumental things. <laughs> I have a, I have a, a different, uh, or you know, a multi-layered approach to this space uh-huh. because um, my first. And feel free to offer critiques. No, no, it's no, it's yeah. it's fun. It's interesting. I mean, I mean, this is what I do all the time. I go mm-hmm. around, I look at stuff. I think why is this done like this and that, and you know windows of shops and stuff that's mm. what i really think it's it's interesting so so my first approach was through twitch mm, so right. my, my first uh, um uh, it was a mediated uh, feeling of the space so being from here i know locarno so i i, I knew it from far away so i i know where it is um I knew it was a sort of monastery, but what I saw as the first thing was Laurie Anderson sitting here with these beautiful plants on on the back and on her back, and um, and uh, and so oh, that's that's a beautiful, elegant uh, <laughs> uh, place. And then the cameras goes a little bit around like this. I think there are these mm. automatic cameras and uh, and gives you a little bit more of, of the context and you see, okay, seems a chilly, chilling situation mm-hmm. and uh, it's a garden and, uh, you know, start to fantasize about it. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I was expecting more or less something like that. Then last night I, I heard the rain. Mm. <laughs> So I, I told about you here. Say, so, oh, I don't know. I was half asleep, half, half awake, and uh, I don't, I didn't know what happened. And then when I came here this morning, was more or less what I was expecting. You know, like it's a little bit the end of the party, or like, mm. um, or the setup. You know, there are people cleaning up around a little bit, and somebody sleeping on, on the. <laughs> so it's it's the setup I was expecting a little mm. bit. But still, I think it's um, here again. There is a kind of power structure. We are on a stage, and there is an audience here, and maybe like ten, twenty people on Twitch uh, looking at us and listening. And uh, I mean, this is a very classical situation. And uh, what what is? Um, I'm I'm really surprised by 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 the building. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I can say, I think it's like a, a beautiful situation, and uh, and I, I guess it was a monastery or something like that. Um, so it's also a place of contemplation mm-hmm. and uh, and attention and on a different level. So it fits very well, mm-hmm. and uh, I I, f- I feel comfortable, you know, in a place like this and. Uh, and uh, it looks like people were also, if I look at the remains, you know, like you see the, rim, you know, traces of bodies. Right. <laughs> they on were the lying on cushions and yeah. stuff. And, uh, and traces of rain. And, and this is like a, a mixture between a, a, a very um, academic kind of seminar thing a festival obviously and uh you know maybe a kind of s- s- high-end squat 
<laughs> yeah. Very high end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very highbrow. Um, so it's it's interesting that you you described encountering the space first via Twitch and then arriving here. I'm sure this sort of transition between online and in-person embodied spaces is something you're you've encountered, I know, a lot as a curator, especially in the last couple of years. So how did your approach to space change during the pandemic when there were a lot of, you know, online uh, exhibitions and, um, you know, there is this, there are these uh, two different views of, of online spaces. On the one hand, it's two-dimensional, it's flat, right? On the other hand, it is sort of almost limitlessly multidimensional. Um, and so, what were what was like both I'm curious about what the practical you know experience of making that transition but also maybe for you existential questions that came up um I'm I'm a um, I'm very uh, for personal reasons I, I really think that the you cannot substitute the physical experience of of art whatever it is you know you will never forget the first time you go to inside the, the Sixteen Chapel. You know, obviously, um, you know you can have it with VR, uh, kind of similar experience, but it's it's not the physical experience. And uh, as I say, as I say before, curating means also put things in space. Mm -hmm. So now, what was the space? You know, uh, I'm I'm this. I'm a little bit older than you, and uh, I, I think I had my first computer when I was, I don't know, 12. Uh, and that was in the the 80s. <laughs> and, well, I just, and, and so I'm not I'm yeah. not like I'm not somebody which is against or like to I'm total I'm not a, 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 a um, you know I'm I'm I I had a life before without a, a, a smartphone or even a mobile phone as an adult, you know? And uh, so I, I, I can't switch between the, the two words. So just, just like as a, as a little introduction. So um, um, you know, there, there are stuff that works very well on screens, even on a computer screen, and uh, there are stuff which you need to. There is a difference if you see a picture of it, an image of it, of or if you see the real deal, you know, uh, which can be, you know, whatever. So painting, let's say a monochrome painting, or Agnes Martin, whatever. If if you look at it on on, uh, on a screen or if you are in a museum looking at it, it makes a huge difference. So there are formats that works for the online and uh, screen stuff. You know, like I really think, obviously, it's it's different to see um, an installation by Ito style, or if you see it uh, um, streamed on a on a on a video. But maybe the on, on a Twitch channel, but mm. um, the, they are closer probably to the intention mm. and uh, and uh, you know like the channel which is ba the idea where 
how, how to to present it to the public. So, um, yeah, you know. I mean, could I ask you to maybe say a little more in detail about when you say like going to the Sistine Chapel, that experience cannot be substituted by watching like a whatever three three sixty degree VR you know presentation of it. What do you think is not? substitutable i mean is it something ineffable for you like the aura of of the thing uh being an encounter with it or you know what is it does it have to do with the ephemerality of the of the experience um i don't know was was philip maybe this morning no it wasn't you was your host uh, that that was telling that when he's going to the cinema um is walking to the cinema and so on i mean there is this aspect you know first of all the context you build around your experience of perceiving something so i mean if I, you switch switch on your computer and put your headset on and and you are i don't know in wherever in new york um after the, you just came out from from a dinner, or you are in Rome after you did a, a trip there, and you see you know the uh, the piazza in front of the Vatican, and then you go in and you mm. and then you come to the the Sixteen Chapel. It's a totally different thing. I mean, there is the, first of all the, the perception of the context, mm. and then there is the physical experience, which is. Uh, made of obviously you know smells and this kind of stuff will get there mm. touch and uh, um, I think technology will will lead us to that probably mm. um, I mean there's uh, 4d cinemas that the 4d yeah, cinema yeah. experience that gives you <laughs> you know a sensory aspect yeah yeah, yeah. odorama it's like a very old uh, stuff cinema yeah history and um but it's not i i don't know I, um, probably like every in, individual has anyway a different way of perception mm. you know, based also on, on biological uh, um, whatever issues or data and um my experience with vr at the moment is still not like i don't have this the same capacity in VR to perceive a space in his unity mm. as is a, I mean also because the vision is very concentrated on uh, or the projection is very concentrated on the retinal thing I think it's mm. I mean I'm talking about things I don't know you know <laughs> about but I I have feelings about it. uh, it's very direct to, to the retinal so it's uh, 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 I don't know. It's, it's still very a uh, primarily visual, maybe almost. Yeah, primarily yeah. visual, and and uh, it's and it's not total. You're listening to the Film Comment podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. 
Sign up today at filmcomment.com. I, I really emphasize with this idea of, of the bodily experience being part of, of what is special about seeing uh, the Sistine Chapel. I haven't been, but I can imagine it would be very different from, from a VR experience of this work of art, um, partly because of uh, like connecting to, to the things that I was speaking about, this kind of continuity between yourself and the world, or, uh, rather than, than a mid being mediated uh, by some kind of technological device. Uh, but also I was wondering, uh, because you work on monumental um, art, I'm, I'm kind of asking myself this question about skill and what, what does skill um, have to do with this, with changing our experience? Um, partly also because um, yesterday someone spoke about a, a filmmaker, I don't remember her name, but she spoke about editing and how she needs to see things on a larger screen when she edits because that changes the experience, the duration. Like when she sees it on a larger screen, she often changes, even if by a few frames, the duration. Mm. So, so the scale is related to the experience of time somehow. And I wonder if... Um, yeah, what, what does the, the, um, the question of scale, how, how important is that to you and the experience, the specific experience of artwork or of shows that you curate? And if I could, I could just chime and sort of add something to it, you know, um, because I work primarily with films, you know, as a film critic, it's something I think about a lot with respect to the cinema, like the cinematic experience. And I always return to this essay by Roland Barth, Leaving the Movie Theater, where he says that his favorite aspect of movie going is actually leaving the theater after the movie. And that's because when he steps out from the darkness of the movie theater onto the sidewalk, you know, that moment, that th crossing that threshold from an enclosed space where he's, you know, you're overwhelmed by the image um, out into the sunlight or whatever, the noise of the street. And it's like emerging from a hypnosis. And that's when the movie, what you're perceiving, becomes a part of you because now it, it transforms into a memory, an imprint, it changes, it takes its own form in your head. And I've thought about that a lot during the pandemic while watching movies on my laptop because there is still a spatial experience to watching things at home. But that sense of exiting, like being swallowed by a space, by the scale of the image, and then emerging from it to a different context is so hard to replicate at home. Um, and, and yeah, and like your body really experiencing a change in states. So I just wanted to add, you know, that experience to, to Noah's question. Yeah, there are two aspects. Um, one is the, the physical aspect uh, connected to uh, to scale and then there is the, the social aspect of like encountering artworks whatever it means or artifacts in a in a space and um yeah and you know we, we know it also from from music producer when when they they finalize the files of music they they testing on different uh, speakers, so mm. they tested that it sounds well for the. I mean, they were testing for sounding well in the cars um, because of the radio, and it's like the commercial part of it today. Probably that it sounds well 
through the, the mobile phones, but also like with super hi-fi, whateverness. So, so this the scale of of the the um, screen or, or of, of of the the place something is is projected or inserted into plays a role. Um, I've, I I walk a lot around art pieces. Mm. Whatever they are, I mean, if even if it's like a black box with a with a, a video installation, I try to perceive it from you know from the back, from the front. And when I go to the cinema, I tend to to send to to sit pretty much in, in the front. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's also like matter of taste uh, somehow. But but yeah. Um, Scale is fundamental. Uh, I, I think if if an artist decides to to make a painting one meter by one meter or ten meters by ten meters, is an active decision, um, and and relates directly to the to the body, ex- the bodily experience that the viewer makes of it. Uh, how do you approach it? And then you can decide, do you put a 10 meters by 10 meters painting in a 100 meters by 100 meters space, or do I put it in a, a box which is 10 by 10 also? So that's also a different kind of, uh, mm. you know, experience or or like frame that you put around, uh, around the painting. But then I, I would I really want to stress out the fact that going to a museum or to a festival and and look at stuff there it's also social experience so you see or a col- collect collectively obviously a film in in a um, in a cinema but uh, uh, when you go to museum often you go with people and then you you discuss about what you're looking at or uh, mm. what you saw what you touched you and and these influences obviously the the, the way um, you perceive and you understand um, I would say more in general culture than than art but uh, um, and this we cannot substitute I mean maybe I mean that's that's what the metaverse wants to <laughs> or um, to have like this kind of collective experience in the virtual worlds, if it's possible, and it, it will be something, you know, like it's something that I'm also curious about, and I will experience a certain point in, in a shape, maybe in a shape of uh, whatever, an octopus, uh, punk octopus, or whatever, because then you can also decide which kind of figure you are inside the metaverse mm. obviously um but i i i you know i'm i'm still maybe here a little bit old school and uh, kind of analog guy i like to to go to museums <laughs> I mean, um it does it does bring to my mind you know the question of when we now that we are creating these virtual and online spaces where you can do the things that you know you're used to doing in person is there a point to trying to recreate the you know the conditions and contours of the in person experience or you know is there something distinct and specific 
that we can create with the virtual experience. I mean, it is, at the end of the day, different forms of giving and uh, taking attention. And so much of the conversation, especially during the pandemic, has seemed to be about how can we replicate, right? How can we replicate the in-person experience, which always feels a little distant, you know, it feels incomplete. And I'm so I'm curious, like even when during the pandemic, when you were working with online exhibitions, you know, was there, you know, some kind of use of the specificity of the virtual space or was the emphasis on how do we transfer for this artwork or object as realistically or as accurately as possible from physical to virtual? Mm. In my uh, practice, um, I, I did nothing online during the, the pandemic. Or what I did, or what we did, mm. was adapted to the, you know, to the medias. I, I didn't try to develop peculiar stuff or, or mm. so on. We just like, you know. We had a kind of uh, blog with artists. We were, were having uh, at the same time an exhibition that was closed down. So we transformed it in a kind of uh, very open uh, Instagram account that everybody was posting stuff. But it was like more for us to be still connected and do uh, kind of really a, a blog stuff. Um, it was a kind of like second part of the exhibition that, that was there in Sangalan but closed. And then obviously I uh, participated to a couple of Zoom discussions and stuff like that. But that, I think it's it's fine, you know, like mm. it's not... I saw many desperate things connected to art. <laughs> like? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, galleries building up the virtual space using uh, you know instrument made by by the the real estate industry mm. to sell apartments you know recreating the space and putting like lo-fi images you know mm. copies of of the, the artworks inside you know like trying to do the experience of you know on the screen of the going to the same gallery you know and and uh it was like at the, at the end. I mean, at least in Switzerland, it was like we are closed like for three months. I think we can skip to go to the museum for three months and maybe go back. Like you, you think if we bit. can't, then just don't do it. Like no, but I mean, you have you have to. I think you can do art in every media. You know, uh, you can use every kind of platform to generate interesting projects, but obviously needs time to generate an interesting project. So if mm -hmm. I decide to, to use this bottle as, as a space for an exhibition, I cannot do it like immediately like that. I, I will have to develop, I have time to develop a project. So it was a little bit of a rush of like, you know, maybe it was also a little bit of a, the idea. It's the golden age to, to try. I mean, that, that was interested me more was like the trial and error in this in this time because it was really open we were towards this openness to try things and not be 
too much judgmental yeah. <laughs> about people trying to do stuff and uh, yeah yeah I was just um, I wanted to add I think it, that's a really interesting question like do we try to recreate the in-presence experience online uh, or is it futile because it will never be the same and so on one hand I'm not sure where I stand on that on one hand I feel like trying to recreate the experiences like trying to make a vegan burger which <laughs> I mean I love vegan food but I I, I don't feel like the need to have vegan uh, like meat as a vegan in a vegan form like I don't right. I always en I, I enjoy better vegan food that is not trying to be meat that's what kind of so I think that's a really <laughs> good metaphor yeah yeah so uh, so in one hand I feel the same about virtual space there is I mean, it will never be the same as the in-presence experience. On the other hand, I do feel like some of this virtual world will stay with us. And mm. I, I experienced it very, very strongly as a teacher, as a lecturer. And I had to lecture via Zoom. And I, and I don't think this will go away. Um, mm. I don't know. Fortunately, unfortunately, I mean, it has some positive aspects, of course, because you can suddenly reach areas that you, I mean, people can join from all over mm -hmm. the world. I feel, I feel like that's an amazing advantage also for Twitch, this, also for the situation where we are now. So I feel like I, I wouldn't completely reject the attempt to, to develop the virtual world in a way, maybe not trying to be the same as in person, but just trying to be a better form of itself or mm. trying to like, so for example, when I, when I was teaching at some point, I discovered, uh, oh yay, <laughs> which is, I feel like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just Snapchat's, uh, it's streaming platform. Uh, you... no, it's, oh yeah. It's like, it's, it's similar to zoom, but it's, um, you can create a space, like you choose a background photo and then people can kind of move around in the space. So it, okay. it's kind of a mix. I mean, it's still very low tech in some way. And even the infrastructure kind of look has a low tech kind of feel to it. And I, I don't think it's perfect in any way, but I, I just feel like, in some situations, it made the conversation more comfortable than the Zoom because because the Zoom has this grid format that is in some ways very um, restrictive. Mm, mm. So just I gave that as an example just of, of kind of this creative trial and error process of working with technology and trying to make it something. I mean, since it's already such a huge part of our life, I do believe in kind of... Um, improving our experience of it even if if the aim is not in order to make it into a, a, a an equal experience to the in-person yeah. experience in space um you know i'm also kind of wondering since you mentioned oh yeah there is with these mediated experiences there is now sort of another um entity involved, often a corporate entity. I mean, the in-person experience of art involves many corporate, uh, you know, involved uh, stakeholders, as we know. But there is something specific about how the digital space is currently sort of monopolized or, you know, owned by these multinational corporations. And so I, I know from people who work on film festivals, for example, that creating a virtual film festival now involves negotiation with these companies. And on a broader, more philosophical question, you know, it 
con it requires us to confront like who owns our attention, right? Like who is mining our attention? Uh, in a museum, as opposed to when we're watching something online, there are companies literally making profit out of the time we are spending watching something online. Um, and there is that aspect, and there's a, I think, a pragmatic aspect too about. Uh, who owns the artwork then, you know, especially when you look at uh, image or time-based artwork, when it's hosted on an online platform, when it's hosted on a streaming service, it really changes, um, yeah, the ownership of, of these objects. So I, I was wondering if either of you had comments on that. I don't know, Giovanni, if, I mean, you said that you didn't really, as a curator, um, you know, you were dealing with online uh, experiences during the pandemic, so directly, but if you had any insight on this, these negotiations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, and a huge topic actually, and I've collected also to copyrights questions and so on, and uh, maybe also you, you know that going back quickly to to what what you say. Um, we, we missed many opportunities, I think, during the pandemic. And uh, you were telling that you were lecturing and reaching out points where, where it wasn't possible. But one of the possibilities of a digitalization is really like this potential dem democratization of, of, you know, knowledge to open up all exactly. Yale's lectures for everybody around the world. I mean, that's very easy you know yeah and spe <laughs> specifically Not, also uh, for which which channel and that's it's yeah. done you know basically so why this yeah. doesn't happen obviously because there are like economical um you know interest behind it and um yeah I, I, Again, it, it's it's also it's it's a way of curating your life if you want if you want to come back to to this the, the decision you, you take. I mean, I decided that I, that I don't put any dollars in in advertisement uh, on uh, in, in Instagram, you know, like or stuff like that. And, and, as an as in, institution, as, okay, you know? as an institution, and as yeah. an individual anyway, but yeah. as an institution, as a constant, we don't do sponsor. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, like sponsored ads or, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I see many, you know, I, things coming up of other institutions, sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, you can do it, but it's a choice you do. And at the end, it's a communication you do also as an institution. Obviously, I, I, I lose visibility. I lose attention. If yeah. You in the battlefield of in the battlefield, eyeballs, yes, exactly. you're you're not winning uh, unless you put in the dollars. It's maybe for some people, it's it's also okay. It's a signal. Gonzalez and Galan is not making advertisement on Meta, you know, mm. and now they they know it, <laughs> and we're gonna get even worse <laughs> in the algorithm <laughs> because they're listening what we we are saying mm. on Twitch, you know, what I'm saying. Mm. And uh, yeah, hmm. so I don't know. Um, I think there is there there are political battles to do on on that field uh, about uh, you know open up um, 
the, the possibility that G- digital offers to to give access to information and uh, uh, but it's the, the, yeah it's it's gonna it's they're very 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 difficult battles mm. actually the needs um, I mean there are politicians that work on that on the European Union and so on but you know the lobbyists and and the money is unfortunately winning. I was just thinking that attention in itself, this is something we spoke about a little bit before, is that the concept of attention is already kind of an economic concept. Like what, when you say pay attention or the attention mm. economy, there's there's all, already a monetized or kind of economic logic to it. It is all already... Um, but it's true that in, in the current world, attention is monetized to an extreme extent. In a literal like in a, sense. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's a battle over, a battle of, of screens or a battle of platforms over your attention. Um, and yeah, and all these platforms like Netflix are doing their utmost in order to keep you on the screen, keep your attention. Um, so I'm not sure, like, I feel like it's a very large question. What, what can we do about it? But I feel like maybe one thing that we just in terms of like in a philosophical uh, perspective on this would be to change the way we think about attention and to kind of um, and to be aware of this process of monetization mm. or to, yeah, to just keep that in mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's a, it's a kind of a very, it's a question that so completely encompasses our life right now that it's hard to, to think through it. Um, but also, what both of you said also brings to my mind the question of leisure, its relationship to attention and its relationship to the economy, um, and you know this idea. If you think about like Habermas and you know the idea of. Um, leisure as something that maybe no longer really exists in a pure form in contemporary society, you know, leisure as something that can be culture creating or culture consuming. And this ideal form of leisure, which is culture creating, in which leisure is truly free time, which can be used um, outside of the realms of survival and production, you know, for the some kind of furthering of our human and cultural experience. And there's this idea that in our world today, there is no such thing. Yes. Um, that leisure either involves like consumption, which may be manufactured, like the desire for consumption is constantly reiterated and manufactured, or involves production in some way. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, when we are scrolling social media or any when we are on these platforms, we are doing free labor for them. We are giving them our data, our attention, or and we are consuming content. So. Um, And of course, it's also related um, to how Zoom changed our life in in coming into our homes and the fact that the work, there is no no longer a clear separation between work and leisure because we work from our homes and our colleagues can see our family life or, I mean, now there are, in the beginning, people could see now that we have backgrounds, of course, and like, but yeah, but the boundaries between home and public life and private life and work and leisure have been totally kind of disintegrated during the pandemic and and it it just reminds me that this is also like an interesting thing to think 
think about is that this is like uh, an historical process that has been going on since the invention of the eight hour workday and was kind of the beginning of this process. Right. And I'm, I mean, just in terms of a very wide kind of perspective, but I'm, I'm just saying that um, this is, we're kind of in this late capitalism moment, but this process of capitalization of our time has been um, going on for, well, since the invent invention mm. of capitalism in a way, or since this, um, this kind of regimentation of our life according to work and, and leisure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tony, yeah, and I would, I would also love to hear your take on this, but also how you think the gallery or museum space, what role it plays in, you know, in this reality. My leisure time? <laughs> Not yours, <laughs> of the people you take care, you, no. you're, you're a caretaker for. <laughs> now, what is interesting is that I think cultural producers are perfect, um, you know, we, we know it. We are, we are exactly that post or hyper-capitalistic persons because, I mean, for me, it's very difficult. It was even before the pandemic to to separate private and, and, and working time. You know, when I do a dinner at home uh, with my friends, which are artists and curators and so on, and... Uh, yeah, of course, it's leisure, but it's at a certain point we're going to start to talk about, you know, art and stuff. So you're, you're thinking about maybe project and stuff like that. So it's like really, and that's typical for all cultural producers. Uh, so it's maybe easier for somebody that has a work that don't care much to go, you know, at eight o'clock till five o'clock. Does the work and then you don't pay the love tax if you don't when you love what you do you pay the love tax yeah, yeah so that's that's I mean and and, and we, we are opening some doors maybe there you know um, and uh, yeah the the role of galleries or museums I mean there there it's also there there are differences you know if if you are like a, a public um, museum or a commercial gallery. Uh, I mean, I'm not somebody that is, is like uh, against commercial galleries at all. I think there are some making amazing cultural work, and uh, but uh, um, I think in a, in a society like places like museums and and uh, festivals and different kind of again so social spaces where you confront yourself with with culture which is always a you know a mirror of of the society uh, are very important and and uh, and uh yeah and and it, there are part of, of I, I to me it's not it's totally part of, of leisure to go to to a museum you know it's i cannot really um it's what I, I like to do, and it's what what it gives me most, and and uh, energetically, that and uh, it's not. I I don't don't do yoga. I go to a museum. You know, I don't know. It's like <laughs> uh, it's maybe a, a geeky, the geeky part of being a a, a cultural producer. And then 
you do other stuff, you do hiking or whatever for, for uh, cleaning up. But at the same moment, you're thinking about other stuff. And so I don't know. I, to me, it's I just feel the responsibility uh, uh, that we have as cultural producers. Somehow we we fucked up the <laughs> the different totally. I think we we uh, really uh, we are responsible somehow for for this uh, confusion between uh, leisure time and working time. Mm. I I kind of I mean, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, I mean, actually, we have a lot of time, uh, but to this hour specifically. Uh, I've been thinking since yesterday when I talked to some filmmakers like Elena Whitman and Kamal Al-Jafari um, about easy and difficult art, which I'm using very broadly, but art that uh, demands something of you versus art that just sort of fulfills you very quickly. And um, also thinking about it in, relation, in relationship to leisure, um, something I really started appreciating during the pandemic was the entrapment of the cinema experience, um, how it actually forces me to be in a space for a certain duration of time that is not in my control. Um, we talked yesterday a lot about Simon Liang as you know, he's a filmmaker who really does a lot with attention and duration. He, he also does installations and um, that, you know, that has that practice as well. Uh, and I asked him about his approach to duration uh, in an interview once, and he said, you know, like when there's a painting in a gallery, people come and stand in front of it and look at it. And I want to replicate that experience in the theater, but I tell them when they can move on. They can't walk away whenever they want to. They will look at my painting, which is my frame or my scene, as long as I want them to. And it really made me think about this um, how much actually I, I missed that during when I was not able to, you know, go to the theater. This idea of me being made to do something almost sort of against my, I wouldn't say will, but my very immediate impulse. And of course, that relates to instant gratification, like of online or social media platforms and how there is a certain kind of art that pushes against that. But it's very rewarding, and I feel like that is a sort of leisure that we we are missing a lot. So maybe Giovanni, I mean, uh, we, we we're almost out of time, but um, wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, I'm sure as a curator, you are confronting these questions of um, how inviting an artwork is um, to an uh, to a visitor. Uh, you know how much time sometimes something takes to really draw someone in is something maybe too excluding you know it's too obfuscating yeah yeah at the end uh, the the viewer the visitors always the the choice if i have uh, i have a lot of memories connected to the film festival in locarno and and i remember a lot of people walking out of movies during the festival and that's that's also a great thing you know uh, <laughs> it's a democratic uh, decision i mean mm -hmm. that that's i think it's important that we have we can decide ourselves the use of our time and uh, uh, maybe there is something that today doesn't talk to me but in maybe in five years will be the most important experience i've done mm -hmm. uh, 
So I don't know. I think uh, um, it's it's not. I, I maybe I just go back to what I say at the beginning. It's uh, it yeah. Curating is also responsibility towards the power you have, and so what I'm trying to do is just try to present interesting stuff. To me, I, I can sleep well at night with the thing <laughs> I'm, I'm showing, and uh, um, but I, I don't have the pretension that will interest everybody. And mm. uh, but I'm, I, I hope people want to discuss with me about the things I'm showing. That's what I'm looking forward. Yeah, maybe just a last thought about what you just said, which I thought was very interesting because I think maybe part of what you missed about these demanding works where you are forced to experience something is that they push against the logic of productivity. Like you, you, instead of being productive constantly, which is what we are demanded, what is demanded of us in this world we are living in, we can just take the time to, to be in an artwork for however long it takes and and to devote our attention to it even if it's a lot of attention if it's demanding of attention we kind of let ourselves give it the attention that it demands yeah i think that's a good note to move on to the next chapter thank you for listening to the film comment podcast Stay tuned for our next episode from the Future of Attention at the Locarno Film Festival, featuring the winner of this year's Golden Leopard, the filmmaker Julia Murad. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcommon.com.